Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, February 15th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. Yay, we're back together. Yay. <laughs> Reunited and it feels so good. And I'm Broadway star's James Marino. And I'm the theater throwback's Daniela Parcell. Yeah, it's been a it's been a weird week. Uh, in the spring, we normally have to bid adieu to James quite a bit as he goes and sees a bunch of shows as a member of the esteemed theatrical press and a drama desk voter. Uh, but this week, it's it's been me. I've I've seen one show already. I saw a movie screening, and tonight I'm going to see the national tour of The Lion King as it officially opens here in Orlando. Um, at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. So I will not be on tomorrow's show. Uh, our friend Julie Musback will be taking the reins uh, from me along with James. At least that's the plan as of now. Who the heck knows what can happen in the meantime. But uh, I'll talk about uh, my experience with The Lion King on Monday's episode. It'll be the first time that I've seen this production since I saw the original Broadway cast back in my first trip to New York in 1998. So literally almost 20 years later. Um, so I'm very, very excited. I have nothing but incredibly fond memories of seeing that show when it was originally on Broadway. I mean, still on Broadway, but in its first incarnation, uh, I think right before I saw it actually before the Tony Awards. So um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, to see it again here now, 20 years later. I love The Lion King. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really, if you can get outside of the whole you know, seeing the film 4,000 times because you have children. <laughs> it's, it's a which good thing. I, which I do not. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to the news. First up in the news, Catherine McPhee to make her roadway, her, probably her Broadway. <laughs> yes, stop it. I, t I spend an hour after work. If there's a typo, anyway. Yes, after a couple weeks of rumors, <laughs> after a couple weeks of rumors, yesterday it was confirmed that former American Idol and Smash star Catherine McPhee will be opening up her Broadway career at Waitress's oh, Diner. See what? Yep. Shut up. Um, beginning on April 10th, Sarah Bareilles will exit the role on March 11th. No word yet on who will perform the role of Jenna in the interim. Kat was the runner up on season five of American Idol back in 2006 before Daniela was born. And her signature <laughs> moment on the show was her rendition of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That is still a... Uh, a, a very important song to her that she performs in all of her concerts. However, it wasn't enough to best former Broadway teen angel Taylor Hicks as he was the season five champion of AI. Also in their season, coincidentally enough, was Ace Young, who has been a staple on stage, including two stops on Broadway since. Uh, James, I, I think you'll know this. Daniela, I don't know. You, you do know who Ace Young is married to, right? No. James, you know, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Ace Young married another former American Idol contestant turned Broadway star Deanna DeGarmo. They actually met on the uh, on when they were both in the hair tour that ended up sitting down on Broadway after the the Gavin Creel, Will Swenson cast left. Remember, they came back for a summer. They were in that cast. They went on. They got married. Then they did a tour of Joseph and Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat a couple years ago. Ace was Joseph. Diana was the narrator. Um, but anyway, yeah, fun stuff there. Anyway, obviously for theater fans, Kat McPhee is well known as the milk toast Karen Cartwright, Karen Cartwright on Smash, who is completely and utterly blown out of the water by the superiorly talented Ivy Lynn. She currently stars on the CBS crime procedural Scorpion, which is 
I guess, a thing, and has released a number of albums, most recently last year, an album of standards called I Fall in Love Too Easily. Now, guys, I have to admit, back in her idol days, I was a big fan of McPhee's, but since, meh. I mean, I watched every episode of Smash, but not necessarily. I, I might have been originally attracted to it partially because of her. But after a couple episodes, it was pretty clear that she was out of her element. Um, I think she's still got an incredible voice. And I am glad that she's coming to Broadway and getting to stretch herself a little bit. But I, I just don't know what I would expect from her, especially in this role, other than that incredible voice. I don't know that I would expect a whole lot of depth or nuance in her performance, but I will be very glad to hear if the reviews prove contrary you know with the rotating uh formula of chicago also a fran and barry show mm -hmm. um it seems as though that they've gotten through a lot of uh people who can sing really well but maybe uh are not perhaps uh taking on the role uh, as from an acting standpoint um, maybe they can do that with and make it successful in Waitress as well. Uh, I, but I think that that role, it, yeah. it's, the anchor, it's the anchor of the show. I don't know how successful that a, could be. Yeah, it's a much different show than Chicago. Chicago, just by its nature, is very presentational and lends itself to people who are able to do broad yeah, I mean, that's what it started. It started as an encore concert. And um, you it, it lends itself to people who can do broad characters without a whole lot of depth or nuance. I have not seen Waitress. In fact, the tour of Waitress, which I was looking forward to seeing, will be here in Orlando when I'm in New York. So I won't be seeing it then. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that the, the shows are so different. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would expect more out of the person playing. Uh, Jenna than I would out of someone playing Velma or Roxy, but I don't know. All right, let's move forward. Uh, you will be in New York when Encores does their uh, upcoming Grand Hotel. I will, and yesterday, City Center Encores finally announced the cast for that upcoming concert production of Grand Hotel as Elisaveta Grushinskaya. I'm mm -hmm. screwed that That's up. It was close. Okay, good. I've listened to the album enough. I should know it. Um, that'll be played by actual Russian ballerina Irina Dvornovec, or, or no, sorry, Dvornovenko. I tried to go fast and screwed it up. The Baron will be played by If Then and other shows James Snyder. Kringleine will be played by two-time Tony nominee Brandon Uranowitz. And Mrs. Flemchen will be played by Stephanie Stiles, who uh, I saw as Catherine in the tour of Newsies, and she was most recently at the 92nd Street Y playing Doris Day in the Bobby Darren story opposite uh, Groff Sauce himself. The cast will also include Natasha Diaz, Newsies' John Dossett, and more. We will have the complete cast list in the show notes if you would like to check it out. Grand Hotel will run at New York City's uh, New York City Center from March 21st through March 25th and will be directed and choreographed by Josh Rhodes. Now, as James mentioned, uh, I do have tickets to see this uh, sitting next to begrudgingly sitting next to my Broadway World colleague, Alan Henry, when I'm in town next month. So I have been anxiously, but not so patiently awaiting this casting notice. And if I'm being frank, I'm a little let down by it. Um, not that this cast is not superbly talented, but just coming off the incredible lineup of talent for Hey, Look Me Over, which featured the likes of Mark Kudish, Judy Kuhn, B.B. Newworth, Nancy Opal, Vanessa Williams, Reed Bernie, Carolee Carmelo, and still more. This list seems a little, well, underwhelming. Um, James, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, 
I believe I've heard Peter Felicia mention on this week on Broadway a number of times how much he loves the show, but that he also thinks that Broadway is long overdue for a revival for Grand Hotel. Um, do you remember him saying that or am I making that up? Oh, no, that's uh, totally been said a number of times. Absolutely. Okay. So so when I saw this cast list and saw a number of very good Broadway talents, but no real legitimate stars, although Brandon Uranowitz is kind of bordering on that, I suppose, with his Tony nominations. The first thing that I thought of was that maybe Encores is angling for a potential transfer of this, like we mentioned with Chicago, one of the shows that's transferred to Broadway. Um, in that case, I would understand um, why this cast was there, because this is a cast that could very feasibly move to Broadway with this show. So I would exp- I would understand that. But just as its own individual production, comparing Encores production to Encores production, this seems like a very lackluster cast um it leaves a little bit to be desired but um you know that's not accounting for the fact that i've been i enjoy many people on the show it just seems like there's some oomph missing from the cast list so what about like uh jake gyllenhaal as uh, the baron <laughs> well yeah i mean i wasn't expecting that but you know i was expecting uh, uh, somewhat bigger names. You know, James Schneider is a, is a guy who's been around for a long time, but I wouldn't say he's a an A-list Broadway talent. Brandon Uranowitz has two Tony nominations. Again, wouldn't say he's an A-list Broadway talent. Um, Stephanie Stiles is an up-and-coming actress who was the lead out of town in Roman Holiday. Um, she's, was like I said, she was in the Bobby Darren thing. She's definitely on the rise, but again, when you've got Kudish and Newworth and Vanessa Williams and Carmelo in the previous show. And then you get these folks as great as they are. And I don't mean to put them down because it's not a discouragement on their talent. It's just status more than anything else. You're like, huh? Okay. Not what I was expecting. Yeah. I mean, I I think these folks are really very talented, but I don't, I don't see it as exciting for an investor. Should they try to mount a Broadway production? Yeah. I don't I don't know they they would be able to sell investors on it or sell tickets on any of these names they'd have to sell it on the name Grand Hotel and Grand Hotel doesn't have a huge box office name as a oh. as a returning event to Broadway. Hmm. All right, what's up in the show and casting news? Okay, we're going to run through a couple things here real quick. Yesterday, the Roundabout Theater Company announced the first show of their 2018-2019 underground season. It will be the world premiere of Ming Pfeiffer's play, Usual Girls, directed by Tyne Raffaelli. The work was part of last year's underground reading series and will open the season at a date to be announced later. Casting and other creative team members will be announced as well. Speaking of new seasons, Playwrights Horizons revealed their entire next season yesterday, and it includes six new shows. First up, the New York premiere, I Was Almost Alive With You, written and directed by three-time Tony nominee Craig Lucas. Then we have the world premiere of The Thanksgiving Play by Larissa Fasthorse. The show will be directed by my man, Morris, Moritz von Stupenagel. I don't know him, but I love the name. Then we'll have the, uh, the New York premiere of Nora, written and performed by Heather Raffo and directed by Joanna Settle. Then we'll get the world premiere of Tori Sampson's If Pretty Hurts, Ugly Must Be a Muffucka. That's M-U-H-F-U-C-K-A, if you're scoring at home. That show will be directed by Liesl Tommy. Next will be the world premiere of Hallie Pfeiffer's new play, The Pain of My Belligerence. Pfeiffer will also appear in the show. And then finally, the world premiere musical by Michael R. Jackson. Definitely need the R on that name. 
that'll be a, a strange loop directed by Stephen Brackett. In the show notes, we will have a link to the full information about all of these productions, including performance dates. Um, Michael R. Jackson is similar to Michael B. Jordan, who is in the cast for Black Panther, which I saw last night. Also, by the time this airs, the embargo will be up. Go see it. It's tremendous. Probably quite well. It might be the best Marvel movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we can talk about that later. Anyway, sticking off Broadway, on Wednesday we learned that Audible, which, James, you talked about yesterday, will be bringing the one-man show Harry Clark back to the stage, starring Billy Crudup beginning on March 7th. The 10-week run will move from the Vineyard, where it was late last year, to the Minetta Lane Theater. Tickets are on sale now, and Audible listeners have exclusive access to discounted premium seats starting at $49. As we've discussed before, this show will eventually be available for Audible listeners to download and listen on their own. And finally, yet yesterday, Off-Broadway's Signature Theater announced a one-week extension of Edward Albee's At Home at the Zoo. The show, which began performances on January 30th, will officially open on March 21st and will now play through March 18th. February, it opens, sorry, opens February 21st runs through March 18th. I don't know if I screwed that up, but I felt like I did, so I bet I figured better safe than sorry. That's what we strive here to be doubly correct. <laughs> Cut twice, measure once. <laughs> Stop that and reverse it. <laughs> yeah, strike that, reverse it. <laughs> All right. What do we have in the recommendations? All right, we've got two videos. Um, the first one was earlier this week. The team behind Frozen met the press. And interestingly, unlike with most shows, the cast didn't actually sing any songs. But instead, we had the Oscar-winning husband and wife team of Kristen Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez uh, performing a couple of the new songs that were written specifically for the stage adaptation and explaining what they are and where they came from and all of that stuff. Um, so that was really neat and then depending on which um i'm of course going to include some broadway world footage uh where my colleague richard richard ridge or richie ridge talked to a bunch of the cast members um and michael grandage the director about the show uh, i am very very excited about this obviously not only because patty is a sometimes broadway radio uh family member but just because this is the most popular animated movie of all time, and seeing it translated to the stage is is super fun. Did any did either of you guys, Danielle or James, get a chance to watch that video yet? I did. I mm -hmm. did. Yeah, so I'm. I'm excited what? for this show, and I didn't think I would be. So. <laughs> You're an Orlando kid. Like you grew up. <laughs> you grew up in in Orlando your your whole childhood. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay, so I imagine that you, I mean, while this show came out while you were in high school, I think, was, mm -hmm. you know, this film did, um, I would imagine Disney musicals and going to the parks and seeing the Disney shows was something that you grew up doing quite a bit then. I did, um, but I feel like I never got on, like, the Disney hype train. I never got obsessed with it. I was just kind of around it all the time. Um, so when this was announced to be coming to Broadway, I was kind of like, eh. Whatever, but now watching some of the footage, it actually looks really good, and I really want to see it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be able to see it when I'm in town next month. So, um, anyway, the other highlights, even more exciting as far as I'm concerned, um, is uh, on Monday as we talked about the almost the entire original cast of Thoroughly Modern Millie reunited for an Actors Fund benefit concert, and now we've got some highlights, and it is 
spectacular. Um, the video that I'll put in there from Broadway World it opens up with Sutton Foster singing Gimme Gimme. And I was talking about this on the Broadway World Slack channel yesterday. This is a top five show tune for me, probably. Um, I probably have 20 songs in my top five, but nonetheless, it is in my top five. Um, I love Gimme Gimme. And what's so interesting about it, it's just a short clip that we get from Sutton performing it. And in that moment, you just you see so much difference between how she performed it probably in the actual Broadway run as opposed to the cast album, which, as we know, cast albums are albums. They're done specifically to give you the best audio listening experience while the performance on stage is different. This is not one that I actually saw on Broadway. So that was really neat. And then you've got Kudish and and Nathan uh, in the tap number and Harriet Harris and then Megan McGinnis, who was the understudy of Miss Dorothy, um, took over that role um, for this concert. Apparently, the original Miss Dorothy, whose name escapes me at this point, is no longer acting. Um, Cheryl Lee Ralph was there as well. And I heard that um, original ensemble member and gypsy robe winner for Thoroughly Modern Millie, Casey Nicola, also made an appearance in the concert. There's no video of that, but um, um, so that's very cool. I, I I love this stuff. I love Sutton. Um, there's video of Gavin Creel obviously singing and stuff. So um, if you haven't checked that out, definitely do that. It's uh, one of those shows that when you look back at it, probably has a lot of fairly problematic content nowadays with the whole Mrs. Mears storyline. Um, but what a great cast, what a fun show, especially if, uh, if you get to see this cast doing it. I just, everybody's over the moon about this. Uh, mm-hmm. and I love to see all the, uh, you know, people abuse social media. Uh, people say social media is terrible. Social media is this, social media is that. <laughs> We saw so much great stuff in all the rehearsals of Millie uh, mm-hmm. through Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and things like that. I, I, I'm really, I was very excited about it. All right. So, uh, Daniela, tell us about what's up in this week's theater throwback. All right. So today we're going back to February 11th, 1997. And this is a story that you guys kind of mentioned earlier this week. It was Whoopi Goldberg's first performance as Pseudolus in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Uh, This was the third and most recent Broadway revival of the musical. Goldberg took over the role of Pseudolus, as I said, a wily Roman slave in pursuit of freedom from Nathan Lane, who won a Tony and a Drama Desk for his performance. Now, obviously, Whoopi Goldberg and Nathan Lane are two very, very different people. And this was a role that was traditionally played by a white man. Zara Mostel originated the role and Phil Phil Silvers played it in the first Broadway revival. So at first, there was some confusion amongst the public about whether Goldberg would play the role as a man or a woman. In the end, she did end up portraying the character as a woman, and apparently the the creative team didn't even discuss the possibility of her playing him as written. All the writers did was alter some pronouns and rewrite two lines, and female pseudolist was ready to go. And luckily, Playbill published an entire article to calm the masses. The headline was very simply, Whoopi Whoopi Goldberg will play pseudolist as a woman. Being a comedic genius, Goldberg definitely wowed both critics and audiences. No one claimed that she was an amazing singer, just that she was good enough and that the rest of her performance made up for it. At least at the performance the critics were at, she stuck surprisingly close to the script with just a few ad-libs at the beginning and some asides here and there. And she wasn't quite as dramatic, frantic, or manic as Nathan Lane was. To quote Greg Evans of Variety, she downplayed the vaudeville shtick in favor of her trademark blend of sass and good humor. 
As I said, most critics were in agreement that Goldberg was just a lot of fun in this role. Even if she wasn't as outright farcical and ridiculous as Nathan Lane, she brought her whoopee Goldbergness to the character, and it worked. Uh, as Jesse Cagle of Entertainment Weekly put it, her casting as pseudolist transformed this dated 35-year-old farce about dirty old men and leggy courtesans into something hip and hilarious. The Whoopi did show up on Broadway several times after this as a producer for Thoroughly Modern Millie, as we just talked about, and Sister Act, and then as a performer in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Xanadu, and her solo show Whoopi. Now, I wasn't alive for this, and I wish I had been, because I would have been really interested in seeing it, but did either of you have a chance to see Whoopi Goldberg in this or remember when all this was going on? Oh, yeah. I did, I did see Whoopi in it, and she was great. Um, you know, what's really exciting about this whole thing, though, is that I can't wait to see Whoopi take over as Roy Cohn in Angels in America now. <laughs> <laughs> That's very well done. Very, very well done there. Can you imagine? Okay, trivia question for both of you. Who took over the role of Pseudolus from Whoopi Goldberg? Bueller? Mm. Bueller? Anybody? Uh, uh, Matthew Broderick. No. He said Bueller. No. No, well, no, that was just my uh, <laughs> yeah. my Ben no, Stein impression no. there. Yeah, no, um, that uh, no, it was David Allen Greer, two-time Tony nominee. Oh, David Allen Greer right. took over. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yep. Oh, wow, that's cool. So, yeah, and uh, what you said before, Daniela, you know that Whoopi uh, wasn't as manic as Nathan. Nobody is as manic as Nathan. <laughs> Nobody it could be. Not- it's not possible. <laughs> Yeah, that has nothing to do with his acting. True, true. That's just about him personally. Oh, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. And we will get emails about that now. Uh, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. I, you love Nathan Lane's energy. Oh, no, absolutely. We love Nathan Lane. We love Nathan Lane. We love Nathan Lane. <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. I was just going to say, you say that three times, Nathan Lane will appear. <laughs> Well, that's cool, Daniela. I love that. Um, and uh, we did just talk about that. So, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? Okay, before I do, though, you just mentioned Beetlejuice, and I just happened to get a uh, – I might get in trouble for revealing this, I guess, maybe, but I, I don't think so. I just got a survey from Spotco earlier today with had a lot of questions about the potential Broadway musical of Beetlejuice. We've talked about it before. Alex Timbers is directing – and um, so it seems like they're moving forward because I got this long questionnaire, which I get occasionally. I got one on Mrs. Doubtfire earlier this year and now this one on Beetlejuice. So maybe it's getting closer to uh, having a production at some point than uh, than maybe I originally anticipated. So that's fine. You know, we have to talk a little bit about this because okay, we it. had yesterday the Harry Connick Sting thing and all these other high profile things where break out the spreadsheet. I don't. I mean, I would love for all these things to come in, but where, where are these things coming in? Well, okay. So breaking out the spreadsheet, and this is off the, uh, the the script here. We have currently, based off of just things that are limited runs for this fall, we have one, two, three, four, five open houses. Now that does include. Um, that does include two uh, subscription houses, uh, Samuel J. Friedman for Manhattan Theater Club in Roundabouts, American Airlines. Um, everything else neither, would... Neither of those houses would rent out to a correct. commercial production. 
Correct. So there's three of them. So there's three open for the fall. Now, of course, things very well could close. Um, and there, I've got a, on my spreadsheet a lot of shows in yellow, which means they could be gone come Labor Day. Um, so, you know, there's definitely spots, but things have to close. We've been in kind of a weird holding pattern of shows closing, uh, for a while where because of the, the weird calendar changes that have happened to the Broadway schedule because of Hamilton or ever since Hamilton, things don't open and close on the same normal timelines that we're used to because of these premium tickets and, and surge pricing, so to speak, and variable pricing, we're seeing shows be able to make a little bit more money in the peak seasons than they have in the past. And, and they're, they're able to kind of tuck that away like a squirrel saving nuts so that when things are dry, they're able to sustain a little bit longer runs than they have in the past. Now, we also have things like the court and the palace potentially going through renovations if those actually happen. Um, so I don't know, James. I, I would imagine we could see one, two, three, four, um, five, six. I would say we could see at least seven shows closed by Labor Day and open be open uh, houses for the fall, plus really? those other five, um, just based on the trajectory of some of these grosses. But I don't think we'll get that many. I would imagine there might be another six or seven total between the houses that we already know have limited runs that are ending. So I think there's a there there might be a rush here in the fall for new for new shows coming in, but it's still a lot less than the shows that have been either rumored or announced. We've, we've already got five shows that have been officially announced. We have Kiss Me Kate. Of course, that's Roundabout. Um, uh, the Prom, Ain't Too Proud. I, I don't know if that's officially official, but it's pretty much official. Then we have The Secret Garden and To Kill a Mockingbird. These have all been officially announced for next season. Bringing just the band no... back together or something, whatever that's well, called. Again, I'm sorry. Yeah, th th those are these are ones that don't have an official theater okay. uh, attached to them yet. So, of course, we've got um, getting the band back together, the fairy man, uh, the boys in the band, King Kong, straight white men, head over heels, pretty woman and the share show all actually slotted into theaters. So we've all already have five shows that don't have a home yet for this season. Now, they, they won't all necessarily be in the fall, um, but we're already taking up uh, spots. So with all of the shows that are rumored or looking to come in in the next year or so, things have to close. And I think think we i'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're going to i want to see how it gets through the spring and into the summer first but i think we could see more than a handful of shows closing at or around labor day i think i have the solution build more theaters i have two solutions <laughs> okay what's the other one <laughs> uh the other one is if we can get broadway not to observe daylight saving time then we can put two shows in the same theater at the same time stop it Stop it. I, I don't think we <laughs> talked about that on air, did we? I think that was off air. No, it wasn't. I don't know. Daniela and I live in Florida, and apparently they're toying with the idea of not not observing daylight savings time, but only observing daylight savings time. So there's no standard time. For six months it's, of the year. <laughs> well, it's not even six months because they've extended it now. So it's just going to be what a mess. Just dumb. Another reason I, I love living here in Florida because I can wear flip flops all year, but... <laughs> Florida Everything stuff. weird happens in Florida. Yes, it's a weird. <laughs> it's dumb. All right. Everything's legal in New Jersey. Get us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMAN and subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Daniela, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Daniela Parcell and on Instagram at Daniela Parcell well. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Thursday with us. And tomorrow, the return of Julie Musback. Be here or be square. Ding, ding, ding.